Welcome to Here Come the Sequels, a full spoiler podcast where we take a look at popular film franchises one movie at a time. I'm Tyler. And I'm... I'm here, I'm Alex. And I am the ancestor of the cows you failed to eat. I'm Britain. <laughs> <laughs> and on that happy note... <laughs> Isn't it? Wouldn't it be the Descendants? Ah, dang it, you're right. I'm the Descendants. <laughs> All right, guess we're just going to have to delete the whole podcast. We'll restart from scratch. We'll get rid of Here Come the Sequels. We'll call it something else. we got to redo every single episode now. <laughs> well, I was going to do a joke about being uh, Shailene Woodley in the Descendants, but yeah, sure, we'll do that one instead. <laughs> we'll retcon the whole thing. I'll reintroduce myself in the Batman episode. be great. I mean, I probably like that movie a lot less now. Hi, I'm uh, Travis, and welcome to <laughs> Sequels. Come here. <laughs> and I'm Ace. What's up? <laughs> Presented by NPR. Uh, we are talking this week about a movie, and the movie is called Godzilla. Or Gojira. Yeah, I'm going to let you do the uh, Japanese accent because it would not sound good coming from me. Yeah, so um, I believe, I, I guess in Japanese, you would say Gojira. Mm -hmm. I'm probably just going to say Gojira because I would feel like I'll sound pretentious otherwise. <laughs> so maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. Sure. But it is the classic, the one that started yes. it all. Yep. So uh, we've been doing the... the kong and godzilla movies and and last week we we kind of did a flashback we went went to the original king kong and now we're going back to the original i'll i'll, I'll stick with godzilla just to, uh <laughs> i can't screw it up okay godzilla. <laughs> you guys heard about this new film it's called godzilla anyways <laughs> So yeah, I was going to make a joke uh, about that being very Eurocentric of you, but then you did a decidedly not European character. <laughs> um, and if anyone's wondering, we'll go ahead and get this out of the way. We are not doing the original King Kong versus Godzilla. Yeah. Um, I think we've about reached uh, our limit in terms of, of monster movies, at least for right now. And I, th I think we've covered the most important elements that we need to cover to get a, a good feel for what's going on. Um. But yeah, overall a good time. Uh, yeah, but by this point, you all know the gif of uh, Kong jamming the tree into Godzilla's mouth from that movie. Um, basically, just look at that, and you'll get a pretty good depiction of that movie and what we would feel like watching it and talking about sure. it. Right. Or I, I guess I, how I, they would feel if I made them watch it. I, I feel like that image, like, that's all I needed. Yeah. <laughs> it's perfect. Like, I, I don't want to ruin that by watching the rest of the movie. <laughs> Um, so the original Godzilla from 1954, directed by Ishiro Honda. Mm -hmm. Um, hope I didn't mess that up. It has a 93% critic score on Rotten Tomatoes and an 89% audience score. Um, King Kong, uh, the original still sits with the highest, uh, critic score. Um, and I think at this point, uh, Godzilla versus Kong is the highest audience score. <laughs> Which is yeah, I get that. Neat. Oh, I Lord. get that. 
Uh, I can do best and worst thing. I Go feel like it. I don't volunteer enough to start. I'm going to do it. Um, Are you saying you volunteer as tribute? Yeah. <laughs> You're teasing that we're going to do Shrek next week. Um, so my best thing about the film uh, is that, well, is the premise in general. Um, I really like the themes and the, the kind of idea behind the central plot, which is basically that you've got Sarazawa who is has the same name as Ken Watanabe's character, but he also has an eye patch, which I think was a quite the misstep in not giving that to Ken Watanabe. Um, and Agreed. He has developed this thing that can kill Godzilla, who was awakened by hydrogen bombs and specifically hydrogen bomb testing um, in the Pacific. And so it's basically like it's an entire moral uh, expl- exploration of you know what how does this guy respond to this when there is something that is so destructive in the world and he's having to grapple with whether or not he wants to unleash something even more destructive to combat it and you know kind of struggling with that moral quandary and uh ultimately figuring out how he can do it in a way that still allows him to feel um responsible you know for his creation uh and there's obviously more context to that. It actually takes a while for that to really get in. But that that being like the essence of the plot, um, that's really cool to me and is in a lot more serious and interesting than I kind of expected it to be. Um, I also, I, I talked, well, this this will get away from that core thing. So that is my core thing. I think the plot of this movie, the characters and, and the problem that they are facing is very, very cool um, and very... Um, powerful in a way that I I think you don't typically see from movies. I, I will say I don't watch enough movies that are older. I don't watch enough black and white movies. Um, but I feel like especially like, I mean, kind of going back to King Kong, I feel like American cinema a lot of the time was very flashy and kind of, you know, more about like the the aesthetic maybe. Sure. Um, and you wouldn't have seen as much like clear I mean I'm sure there are examples of this that I'm just not thinking of or that like I in don't... the 50s and such yeah. oh yeah I mean there there's cert- it was certainly spread I mean you had movies like the long weekend and, and stuff like that but you, you you definitely had a lot of big musicals MGM yes. splashy dance and it's technicolor yes yeah exactly. big adventures yeah I definitely know what you're saying um and so this one and I I mean Knowing also that I think the only other movie I've seen that's not King Kong from anywhere within this era is Rashomon. Um, sure. Which is the same year. Uh, and so I definitely get the feeling that Japan started its film off on much more of a like, we're going to explore themes and character and like really, you know, have things that are hard hitting and, you know, don't shy away from making the audience uh uncomfortable or like have to think about these things i don't know i think that's really interesting i'm not I, this, i'm using the widest possible uh brush stroke to <laughs> uh illustrate differences between the two but um i thought that was neat and refreshing uh compared to especially kind of the way king kong unfolded and how much of that was about the special effects mm-hmm. um and things like that um 
Speaking of special effects, my worst thing is Godzilla. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, for, for one, I think they really uh, did not realize the lesson that uh, Steven Spielberg would teach the world um, some couple of decades later, uh, which is that the less you show the monster, the scarier they can be, especially if your effects aren't very good. <laughs> sure. Um, it, basically... I thought it was really neat because they start off as they're kind of investigating Godzilla. They go to this island and they see footprints on the island in, in kind of the middle of this village. And you don't get the classic uh, overhead shot at first. You just see them look, walking around in these giant footprints. I'm like, okay, that's really cool. That's an interesting perspective because, like, obviously no one else would be able to see looking straight down unless they were in a right. helicopter or whatever. Um, that's kind of a different way to, to approach that and... and I feel like now nowadays, I mean, especially I think Godzilla 2014, doesn't that have a shot of, or I guess it has the shot of the big trail of the Muto yes. crawling yes. away and, and stuff. Um, and so I thought that was cool. And I was like, okay, this is hopefully going to be a little more grounded. Um, and they're like exploring around to find the radiation. But then they're like, oh no, Godzilla's on the other side of the island. And they're all rushing and screaming. And that's effective. You know, all the, everybody's panicking. It's like, okay, this is cool. And then you see some of our main characters start to freak out because they see Godzilla over the ridge and they're like, Oh my gosh, it's terrifying. And again, so far so good. <laughs> and then they, they cut over and they got a big old, uh, I guess. So is he always a guy in a suit in this film? Yeah, is there a puppetry involved? At all? I, I imagine there might be some, I don't know about his tail specifically. Cause there's like a shot mm. later of his tail knocking some stuff over but I believe he is a guy in a suit. Sure. Um, through and through. It's it's very rubbery and flappy and very obvious that it's not, like, it just does not create yeah. the illusion. <laughs> and I know that that is something that was kind of steered into with this franchise. But in this movie, that is so serious. Yeah. And so, you know, grounded in this ethical dilemma. He uh, looks real silly. Um, and then he shows up and attacks Tokyo. Um and that's cool at first because it's dark. Yeah. It's like, okay, this is this is working. You're kind of hiding some of the more or the less detailed features of the suit. Um, this is this is working pretty well. You're showing him destroy Tokyo, but then it just keeps going and going and going. Uh and it, it takes a while to move on to something else. Um and from that point on, Godzilla's basically out of the movie and they're just debating whether or not to use this thing. Um, so yeah, I thought that was interesting. It was The movie had a very different structure than I expected it to. Um, so we don't actually get that much of Godzilla, but what we do get was enough for me to be like, this doesn't feel like the same movie. Sure. <laughs> um, and I almost, I, I kind of feel like you could have the movie just be about like a volcano, an undersea uh, topography is being destroyed by the uh, nuclear testing and a volcano has risen up, earthquakes are happening, tsunamis, you know, that, all that sort of thing. Like, you could have just made it like a disaster movie where they're like, oh, we need to go and unleash this thing to counteract the effects. And it would have, I think, worked similarly and had less <laughs> silliness going on, aside from the fact, you know, setting aside the fact that we do obviously get a super iconic film character out of this. Um but just looking at this movie in particular, I was like, 
I don't know that it needed to be <laughs> done this way. Sure. And much like with King Kong, um, we're talking about a movie that was made many, many years ago. They didn't have much other alternative at the time. Mm-hmm. Maybe this was still pretty effective for people to watch in, in theaters. Um, but just watching it now, it uh, it has not aged well. <laughs> yeah, I, I definitely... Um, I agree to, to, I, I, I agree overall. I would say that f- for me, I think that was three filler phrases. I'm embarrassed. Um, <laughs> I, whenever it was a wide shot, um, particularly t- just drawing Tokyo at night, I think a lot of those wide shots worked really well mm-hmm. for me and looked really haunting, particularly if they were from like behind Godzilla or from the side, I think it looked great, but and like his movements, I, I didn't really bother me. We've seen the gifs and clips of the later movies where he's just like stamping around and throwing. His, he just looks really goofy. But it was the face was so hard for me to take mm-hmm. seriously. The eyes were googly. And I don't know, you know, for the time, what kind of budget this had compared to other Japanese movies. Like, I don't really know. Because obviously, when you talk about digital effects, like I don't hold it against this movie for its use of like miniatures, which I think largely work yeah. pretty well, or even the the breath effect doesn't look it looks it looks like it was from the fifties, but I'm fine mm-hmm. with that because like what else are you supposed to do? But with kind of the, with, with King Kong, it's like oh they were using this technology at the time and it was really inventive, and with this it's like we still have people in physical makeup and prosthetics and suits playing characters. It's rarer, but we still do it, and so. It's, it's not like physical effect styles evolved and like funding for that kind of stuff has, has hopefully increased in some cases, but it's not like they were using materials that only exist. It's not like we have materials now that didn't exist then. Mm. I think to my understanding, I could be wrong. Really. It's just that his face, like that first shot where he comes up over the, the ridge, he looks really silly. Like his eyes look really goofy and, the head just doesn't really work for me, but a lot of the the wide shots and stuff around his size I thought looked great. Um, but yeah, all all of the like close up stuff, and I was like, oh, oh, Godzilla. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Alex, do you want to go or shall I? I can go. Um, go ahead. <laughs> um, I'll, I'll I'll keep this fairly brief. My my best thing is the first half, and my worst thing is the second half. Uh, hmm. I think the movie does a really good job at setting up the tone and feel for it um, for, the, for the first part of the movie, really until we get to the, the full-on destruction from Godzilla. Um, I like how it almost has like a documentary feel with how it's edited, and there's there's a lot of quick cuts, and it doesn't really feel like it's wasting time. It's very efficient, um, and I like that given that the premise is how do all of these kind of disparate characters kind of deal with this threat so we've got like the locals we've got people on boats we've got government officials we've got scientists i've liked all of that and that's kind of what i've been wanting from a monster movie like this and that the closest i got to that was king of the monsters and that's probably Mm -hmm. why i gravitated to that one so much um but i I really like that and and that that helped helped it to feel fairly realistic all things considered, I think for the time this this probably would have felt very realistic. Um, so yeah, I kind I kind of like that that quality to it, and and it helped 
particularly setting it against King Kong, which feels very kind of classic, quote unquote, Hollywood. It's nice to have a, a very different kind of contrast to that. Um, I know it was like 20 years later, but still. Um, black and white film. <laughs> different feel. <laughs> um, but then, yeah, the second half really leans into, I think, kind of some of the, the lamer story elements that it's got going for it. It's got not necessarily a love triangle, but there's there's like a romance plot with with I I, I don't remember their names except for Emiko, I think mm-hmm. was the, the yeah. girl. Um her and, boyfriend and is like, I'm gonna tell your dad that that we're gonna get married, and that's like a running plot line that does not get resolved at all in any meaningful way. Um but then she it's not really a love triangle, but like she she has this relationship with Sarazawa and they they have like this whole combative situation of trying to convince him to use the oxygen bomb, uh, which did not realize King of the Monsters just pulled that into its plot, which is really cool. This movie genuinely <laughs> made me feel better about King of the Monsters um, just because there were a couple of things in there that were like, oh, that was a callback. That was a yeah, that was a little a little fan thing. Yeah. that's cute yeah no and that that was really really fun because because we did discover. specifically complain about the oxygen destroyer we should say so yeah uh so, so it's the oxygen <laughs> destroyer it's not the oxygen bomb right yeah. destroyer okay gotcha um but yeah i i didn't really care how that that pseudo love triangle was set up and it, it felt like the movie was not really explaining why these relationships were set up or kind of why they were the way they were. Um, I don't really get Sarazawa's connection to Emiko. I, you know, I, a lot of the stuff just seemed like it was it went kind of unexplained, and it was just like we're we're trying to push past this as fast as possible. Um, and given that, you know, Tyler, to your point, Sarazawa's decision to use the device is kind of the emotional crux of the film. I feel like the way it kind of approaches that is very kind of messy. Um, and then on top of that, Doctor Yamane. Um, who who seemed at least to be kind of our lead going into the first half, if there was a lead. Um, he's the one that's going, I care. He's basically the equivalent of Sarazawa in the modern films mm-hmm. yeah. in terms of I'm, I care about Godzilla. I think he, you know, they're, they're, you know, we should, he's worth exploring um, and kind of discovering how he's able to survive all the nuclear radiation. Like there's a lot of different scientific benefits that could be taken from not just killing him. Um, but then you get to the end and they're about to dive to use the oxygen destroyer with their scuba suits. And he's just standing there kind of oblivious to what's going on. And he goes, you both be careful. And I thought sad later about the bomb. He's sad later about the bomb. But in that moment, I thought he was, he should have been the one going, guys, don't do this. I think there's, there's another way like we can. You know, so so I felt like a lot of the relationship stuff was just not working for me at all, um, which is funny because that's a complaint I have about kind of modern monster movies in many ways, particularly some of the ones that we've had in terms of the relationship stuff just feeling kind of tacked on and, and forced um, that persists all the way back to this. Um, and then also, yeah, the, the effects are a mixed bag for me. But in a different way, um, Godzilla, I didn't really mind. I kind of gave a pass to. Um, 
I actually liked that that it was a guy in a suit. I don't know, just kind of the the Britain to your point, kind of just the wide shots of him kind of just wrecking a, a model city. I just thought were neat. Yeah. Um, I think the fact that it was in black and white helped kind of shield a lot of the the shoddy effects in terms of his face and googly eyes and whatnot. I think that helped shield it a good bit for me. But I, I just kind of noticed there's a lot of sped up footage, um, which kind of irked me just because that's that's something that that I, I tend to notice. Um, but then also a lot of repeated shots. Mm-hmm. Um, there's there's two different sections of Godzilla getting out of the water um, and it's like the same shots both times. And then I felt like the during the airplane attack, they repeated a lot of footage. Um, there's like three different shots of three airplanes flying in. But it's the same shot used yeah. over and over again. Um, and then also, I thought the model work, it's not necessarily that it was bad model work. I just don't think it was shot very well because it, it's not shot at the right speed. It's shot at like normal speed, which doesn't work when you're using models that are like getting destroyed. You have to shoot at them at a slower speed. That way it makes it feel like it's bigger. Um, so I noticed that with like a lot of the, the trains crashing and things like that. Um a lot of that smaller yeah. stuff was kind of taking me out of the movie in a way that um, King Kong, with its visual effects, and of course it's not it's not dealing with the same kind of effects necessarily, but I wasn't taken out by King Kong's effects the way I was a lot of the time for this. So, kind of a mixed bag. Do you tell those uh, iconic Japanese filmmakers how they should have made the movie? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Alex is like the kid from Super 8 yelling production value over and over again. <laughs> I, I would totally be that kid and you know it. Yes. <laughs> um, but yeah, the, yeah, first half really, really got into. I, I was genuinely like, this might be an A or A plus for me if it keeps up like this. And then the second half happened and I it dropped off quite a bit. Yeah, that's where I'm at. Britain? Um, yeah, so I'm going to go for, for my best thing. I'm going to pick something I'm surprised uh, Tyler didn't pick and say the music. Mm-hmm. Um, Akira Ifkube's uh, theme for Godzilla is stunning. Um, I don't like the way the word iconic is used in modern parlance, but I do think it fits this particular theme. And, uh, you know, it's woven into the score in uh, King of the Monsters really effectively. I think it's just so haunting, but also heroic in a mm-hmm. weird way. Like, however you view the character of Godzilla, I think the theme fits really nicely. Apparently, Ifukube and Honda had very different opinions on what Godzilla represented and just based on their own experiences growing up during World War II and their, or, or being alive during World War II in Japan. Like, they had, I think Ifukube had his, saw Godzilla as more of an anti-hero and Honda was like, no, he's a monster. Um, however, I respect your work, so you're, do what you're doing. This is great. There was a um, a uh, uh, an episode of a podcast called Imaginary Worlds that's quite good that focuses explicitly on the score uh, that's really interesting called Scoring Godzilla. Um, <clears throat> so yeah, I just thought the music was, was really great. Uh, the theme, but there's another piece of music later that we can talk about when we get to a, a specific scene that almost feels like it's out of a, another movie, but for me in a good way. Mm-hmm. Uh, for my worst thing, I it's... I was more bored than I expected I would be, but I think I went into this just like, I'm going to love this. Sure. <laughs> um, and and I did like it. But I think that, that on a minor level, 
there were a few points where there was really chop, like weird editing where it's like in the middle of a scene, a person be like, uh-huh. And then they would kind of move to stand up and then sit back down. And then it would cut to them like in the action of standing up. It was really like weird yeah. in a few places, only in a couple. Um, and I was like, what is Jamie fighting the sand snakes? What are we doing here? <laughs> but <laughs> there's a, uh, the other thing is just that plane fight. I, I texted you guys that plane fights in monster movies are, scuba scenes in james bond movies we're like <laughs> it's not even this is necessarily bad it's just going on for a yeah. long time and you're not accomplishing anything and i think very similarly it's like a oh we're we're exploring you know this is not something that gets done very often in movies yes. at the time we're doing something cool we gotta milk this we gotta go yes. go hard with it and really just like do do whatever we you know think of and put it into the sequence and then yes <laughs> But I, then there's also a scuba scene in this movie that goes for way too long. There is. So, there is. The worst of both worlds. <laughs> sure. Yeah, I, but I. That's not nearly as bad as. No, 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 no. God, no. No, no. Either, the, as either the plane scene earlier in the movie or Thunderball. Uh, continue. The entirety of Thunderball. <laughs> the, 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 the thing that annoyed me the most about the plane scene is that they never hit him. They fire so <laughs> many missiles and they all yeah. go past Godzilla. Like. And I At think in the close-up both... shots with the planes, we do actually see the wires. Like, well, sure. sure. And like with, and I understand it's a guy in a suit, so like maybe they're trying to figure out what that effect should be. And sure. In which case, I would say maybe just don't do the don't do the thing. But it's such a weird like. Even with the as long as both King Kong movies took to do their plane sequences, he got hit. Like there was at least something. And yeah. in this, it was just. It was like it felt like ten minutes of planes launching missiles and Godzilla being like. No, I'm over here. Yeah, and and if I remember correctly, when they have like the tank sequences when Godzilla's like really wrecking, I think he's in Tokyo at that point. Um, and it's really like, oh, there's like a sea of fire behind him, but the the tanks are shooting at him. I think they actually do show like you no, know, there there are explosions happening on Godzilla, like Yeah. So it's not a thing where it's like we can't show any impact shots because the sure. effects they're just not there yet. They were able to make it work for that. So, yeah, to your point, I don't know how they weren't able to make that work for the plane sequence. Maybe, maybe we just missed the scene where a bunch of battle droids got into the, <laughs> into the <laughs> planes like, Roger, Roger. <laughs> I don't know. Um, it's going to be great. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, that was just that was weird to me. Um, so so uh, I wanted to mention we're you mentioned Professor Yamane. Um I really liked him a lot. I liked the touch of him being nervous when he was speaking in front of Parliament, and he his tie was like outside of his jacket. Um, oh, yeah, definitely. Tucks yeah. it back in. That actor, I was looking him up. His name is, I believe, it's uh, Takashi Shimura, and he was like this prolific Japanese actor. He's got like three hundred acting credits. He was in. He was one of Kurosawa's staple actors. He was. Is one he in Rashomon? I think he is in Rashomon. He was one because of the Seven Samurai. Um, I didn't even think of that. I I was pretty sure I recognized him, but I was like, no, I wouldn't recognize anybody from this era. Sure. <laughs> Unless yeah, I think he's he was in, in literally <laughs> the only other movie I've seen. Right. I think he was in that. He was in a movie that I haven't finished watching called Ikiru, where he's wonderful in Ikiru. It's that he's playing a much like sadder, more meek kind of character. And in this, seeing him as a more put together, like stable, uh, 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 orator i guess um i thought he was really good um i genuinely liked his performance a lot um i i 
the guy who played Sarazawa, I mostly enjoyed because that character had an eye patch. Yeah. And and I know they have a thing like, oh, he was it was in World War II, he lost his eye, that's why he's got the eye patch. And I was like, I also think somebody just and you know, listen, if this actor actually himself had an eye patch, I am then I will not make any fun of the actor. Not at all. But I wonder if Ishiro Honda or somebody wasn't just like, it'd be really cool if this guy had an eye patch. I, I think that is what happened. <laughs> so we're just gonna do that now. Yeah, to it was Tyler's awesome. point, really, when we get to Sirozawa and, like, all the lab stuff, it does feel like a different movie. <laughs> it would have been great, because I mentioned how Kawatanabe, with his glasses, uh, obviously as the inheritor mm. of the n- name Sirozawa, it would have been great if this Sirozawa had a monocle he kept taking on and putting on, <laughs> taking <laughs> off and putting on, like, whenever things were, the tone was changing. Um, yeah, I didn't, just straight up didn't follow a lot of the the interrelationship stuff between him and uh, uh, Yamane's daughter. I just didn't. I, I mean, the basic... They, they say really early on, and this confused me, they say that Sarazawa is Tamane's future son-in-law because apparently he's, like, betrothed to Emiko. Emiko. Um, right, 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 right. Okay. And then we learn, okay, Emiko and Otaga? I'm kind of just pulling that name oh, maybe. Out, of, out of my uh, consciousness. Uh, Ogata. 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 Okay. Mixed up my consonants. Um, it turns out, okay, the two of them are actually romantically involved, and so she wants to break it off with Sarazawa so that um, Tamane will go with Ogata anyway. Um, but it also is kind of strange because it never... It's hard to tell if that was like, oh, this is like something that their families arranged and that they already, you know, like were kind of set in this because Sarazawa never seems to care <laughs> about any right. of that. He's like, my bomb! Um, and that's, yeah. that's what he's focused on. Um, and then Tamane just keeps getting mad at Ogata, uh, which is fun. Um, yeah, I, that didn't bother me as much. I felt like I, I followed it well enough and it just seemed like it was kind of a a random human interest side thing. Yeah. Um, and and I guess I, I shouldn't say that I, I didn't dislike it. I think I just maybe missed key elements of it and just kind of didn't pay as much attention to it as I should have. Um, I, I did like how his, when uh, uh, Sarazawa reveals the oxygen store to Emiko, we, the audience doesn't know what it is yet. We just hear, he's like, Oh, this is what I've been working on. And she's like, we just see her screaming and, and, and quailing. And then it's later where we flash back to that, mm-hmm. and we he reveals that he's got this oxygen. And and then of course it was in this movie that I realized, oh, because it destroys oxygen. Mm-hmm. That's I, okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, I thought uh, I thought that was kind of a cool way to do that, to play with time. <laughs> like there's a there's a huge inspiration in, to Nolan. When he was writing <laughs> Memento, he was like Godzilla. <laughs> Godzilla. Uh, I I did like going along with kind of comparing uh, this Sarazawa to Ken Watanabe Sarazawa. Um, I did appreciate that you know in King of the Monsters we have him kind of sacrificing himself mm-hmm. by by deep diving to go find Godzilla, but it's a completely different uh, reason. In this, it's to kill Godzilla, and to in that one, it's to revive him. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's fun. Yeah, that's totally neat. cool. <laughs> it it does make me a little sad that there's not more. Like, I wish there was a way they could have just started the the monster verse um, with Godzilla having 
happened or at least like vaguely mm. the events of Godzilla might have happened. Yeah. Um, because I would love if Sarazawa in that movie had some actual connection to a character like this. And yeah. that that was like, cause then I think that would be really cool if that was like a payoff of, okay, his, maybe his father was that guy or, I mean, obviously yeah. you couldn't really do it that way. Maybe his uncle was sure. that guy. <laughs> uh, and, or, or something to that effect. And then we're, we're paying it off there. Well, I mean, they set it up. So, I mean, Yamane has has the the couple of lines at the end where he's like, I, I don't believe that Godzilla was the last mm-hmm. of his kind. I'm sure we will discover more of him out there, um, which I don't know if that was purposefully trying to set up sequels or if that was supposed well, to be no. a, th- a th- more thematic thing of like the threat, like we're still going to yeah. continue to to meddle with nature. He- he very specifically says, as long as the bomb, we continue sure. to test the hydrogen bombs, yeah. uh, more Godzilla's will arise. And it's like, ah. Yeah, right. But that is interesting <laughs> that they set up like, no, we didn't yeah. s- <laughs> completely stop the problem. Apparently yeah. they took that in a very different direction uh, in the sequels. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like. Yeah. So, I mean, let, let, let's talk about the, the, the theme element, because obviously I've mentioned it a million times on, on this show. Um, Wait, Britton, what's the theme? uh family <laughs> that, <laughs> and that's what's so powerful about it family yes. but that that the movie and I, I i feel like some movies their commentary works because they're subtle sometimes it works because it's overt either way what matters is that you're purposeful and that you're like actually saying something and you're not just like yeah so what do you think about that <laughs> as i right criticize joker for um but i think that this is it's very clear. I mean, they straight up say like, well, the U.S. was testing hydrogen bombs. Mm-hmm. And so now there's a giant monster trying to destroy us. It's like, oh, yeah. Like when they when we bombed two of your cities and with nuclear um, power. It's it's not Emiko, I think it's it's another character mentions that she escaped Nagasaki. Right. Or like she I guess she got out in time. Yeah. Before it was. Yeah, because she's she's talking to another guy. I think they're on the, the train and she's like, do I need to do that again? Do I need to like completely evacuate? Yeah, right. And and I think that it was interesting to watch this knowing that this was like nine years, ten, nine years yeah. after that. Like how close to to that reality this movie was made, I think, is is really impressive. And I if if this movie were made now and the whole point was like, huh nuclear bombs are a bad thing i'd be like well well yeah Yeah. but for a movie to so directly address something like this so soon after it happened like i i consider that very powerful in this movie and specifically for me well and when i just like that they're straight up like america was testing hydrogen bombs and but also like you know this could happen again if we keep messing with nuclear power meaning in the real world nuclear power kills people <laughs> so yeah and it's it's so fascinating that it's it's not like it's it's a sad film and not an angry yes. film yes um yes it's not trying to you know <laughs> it would have every right if a, a japanese citizen wanted to make a film that was you know all about you know, just kind of rage against this thing happening but it's it's really it's a right. sadness about the fact that I mean the 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 reason I like the premise so much and the the plot is that it's about this escalation. It's about the fact that like you're just gonna keep going on like this until you know we just more and more people die. Like 
you're always going to be able to find a, a more powerful bomb or a more powerful weapon and you're just escalating this beyond all control um and it, it like i don't know and the fact that sarazawa is ultimately like all right i'm going to kill myself along with this bomb so that nobody can they can only be used to save people this one time and it will yeah. never be be used to hurt people like that um and that's such a powerful message of like almost like this is this is what you should do if you find some a, a secret like that like you you should do everything in your power to make sure that it never gets out of your hands and and right. is allowed to be used for harm um yeah it it's it's such a like mature yeah um just like uh gut-wrenching message i feel like yeah. well and i um, think the, knowing the, image... the context of, and when it came from for for me the scene that most effectively drove that home was it, it's like after i think it's after the first time he attacks that there's like this makeshift infirmary and in like a government building and all of these attendants and there's this beautiful sad music uh that i mentioned earlier is playing and they're the people are walking around with their like i don't if the geiger counters i don't know the the little device that tests for radiation and they're like scanning children and they're yeah. coming up positive like that was so mm-hmm. powerful to me because i was like you know that this is taken directly from experiences people who made the movie had or people who they know had. And they're like, Hey, what was it like when you were, we were recovering from Hiroshima and Nagasaki? Like it was, it was like this. (laughs) It was people in, in buildings trying to just wrap their minds around it and mourning each other and realizing that children had were radioactive now. Like all of that I thought was really effective and that that wasn't, that the movie took that that time to say, yeah, this giant monster attacked and destroyed a bunch of stuff, and it was like scary or cool or whatever. But this is this is what happened afterwards, and this is how those people were affected. Mm-hmm. It, it, in a it, the monsterverse movies don't really do that, which I'm not criticizing them for. But in a way, I, I would say the opening of King of the Monsters kind of gets the closest, where we see Kyle Chandler and Vera Farmiga looking for their son. Because it's a moment of like, oh, right, there are like real people on the ground who are affected by this. It's not just thrills. And I thought that this, I mean, obviously this movie had a different goal, but I think that was really effective. And and I completely agree, Tyler. I, I like that the movie approaches this topic without being just like spiteful, but being by being sad and by saying like, look, whatever it is, however we feel about it, like this is just a sad thing. And, and what does this mean for later? as as opposed to like how dare you you're the worst and this is you know we're gonna have like a a a bumbling american character who makes everything terrible we're not doing that we're just saying like this is why this is so dangerous and why we need to be careful in the future i think is a is a really admirable thing yeah i mean and i want to make this analogy and i feel like it's going to be it it would be very easy to do this uh in in poor taste i i really do mean this like I feel like this movie is like if in 2011 somebody made a movie that was very clearly using a metaphor or some sort about 9-11. Had the same and thought. Yep. was extremely anti-war. Like, that's just, that's those are not the kind of movies that were spawned in American culture sure. because of that event. Um, and that was, I mean, ultimately, like, not as much, I mean, it was still awful but not as much of, of course. loss of life uh, as Hiroshima, Hiroshima and Nagasaki words yeah. um it's just like 
I, I couldn't imagine someone coming out and making a movie like that, uh, that close to, and that when so many people like were there or like, yeah. were still living and, and would have had such trauma over that event. Like that's, that's crazy to me. Yeah. I definitely have a, a weird feeling about people making movies about true events really soon after they happen. Like when, uh, I think Oliver, did Oliver Stone make the Josh Brolin as W movie with that Oliver Stone? Yes. Okay. Um, I, I think that was him. I think he may have also done the world trade center movie with Nicholas cage. He did. Which came and, out like five years after. Yeah. And, and, and the, with the W and I haven't seen it just, uh, 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 disclaimer, but that struck me as, cause I think it came out like towards the end of Bush's presidency and it felt so weird. It was like, we, we don't have historical perspective on this. Like this isn't yeah. even about how you feel about him or political. Like this is just about this. So much information we don't have. And there's so much perspective we don't have on it. So normally I'm really like, guys, I think we should wait before we try to make the movie of this real life event. But then I think there's there's a difference between that, which feels opportunistic, and something like Godzilla. And I'm sure there are American versions of this, maybe to do with the Vietnam War or something, or even to do with World War II, that were made in, or in and around that time that later on serve as a as a as a reaction to it, as an emotional reaction to it, not as a, we are here, we're going to tell the definitive story of what happened, but rather to say, this is how we're feeling right now. And this is, it's interesting to look at that years later and, and go, oh, this is what like, this is what movies were during World War II. Like how Americans were viewing that before we knew about the concentration camps or even right after, like, it's really interesting to see there's a movie called gentleman's agreement. That's about anti-Semitism in America post world war two um, mm. that I remember really liking. I haven't watched it in a while. And that was made like right around that time. And so I think it's interesting if you're going to do something very soon after a significant event happens, I, I think it makes more sense to do not try to sum up the event so much as to react to it emotionally. Yeah. Um, Cause whatever the event is, however anybody feels about it, information is going to keep coming out and you want to make sure like, okay, we'll just, what are the facts? And then also how do we view this now? 10 or whatever years hence. Um, but yeah, and I, but I think your, I think your comparison to nine 11 is fair. Not, not because we are comparing the events, but just to say, you know, what is a contemporary massive event in our yeah. lives? And I, I think that's, that is a sensible, I understand that, that, that point. Um, I appreciate that the movie's not beating around the bush about that. Yeah, mm-hmm. definitely. Um, I feel like a lot of movies that would be approaching. Um, we can't exactly do the historical event because um, we're we're too close to it. But yeah. let's try and do uh, a metaphor or some kind of symbolic or thematic thing with it. Yeah, and I feel like they with the metaphor that they they use, it's so obvious. But you're not actually doing the thing. Mm hmm. Whereas with this one, I think you have a very nice balance of no, 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 no. The 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 bombs dropping that happened, and that mm-hmm. is the basis for our story. But it's going to lead into this other thing. Um, yeah, I, I think I, I just that approach. I, I'm not sure if I've seen at least in any kind of major uh, American films in that per, in that kind of way. Do do y'all think that because it is. A very overt metaphor, but a metaphor, allegory, whatever you want to call it. Do you think that helps 
to make something more timeless uh, effects not in technology notwithstanding. Um, I, I would say, and I think in this case, it does because there is a way to watch this movie that's just about a monster destroying a city. Yeah. Harder, I yeah. think, to do with this than with, with uh, more recent movies, which are just about yeah. monsters destroying stuff. But I, I, I think that when you have a movie that says, where, where you, like, I maybe like Animal Farm is a better example where it's like, oh, this is the Russian Revolution, but but on the surface it's about farm animals. It's like, oh, okay, well, I may not know what the Russian Revolution is in 2021. I forgot what year it was, um, <laughs> but we, but I know what farm animals are. So, in a way, that kind of helps keep that that metaphor alive longer. In a way, because you're not just looking at this as like. Oh, you just made a movie about the thing when it happened. I don't know. I'm not exp- expressing it well. What, what do you guys think? I just don't know if I have enough, like, comparisons. Sure. Because, I, I mean, that's part of why I'm so fascinated by this, is that I don't think I've ever seen a movie that quite approaches it in this way. And I would right. love to find more. Um, but, yeah, I don't know if I have many, like, examples to go to. Alex, you look like you're thinking. <laughs> would John Carter count, Britain? Because the whole idea is that he he is a veteran from the Civil War, so we have that backstory and that baggage, and mm. he gets transported to Mars, which is basically in the middle of a civil war. But obviously, mm. we're using like alien races and stuff to kind of you know separate ourselves how, from it. When how old is John Carter? I mean, the book was like the early 1900s. Yeah, I never the, the movie is that like what 2011, 2012. Yeah, 2012. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I Maybe, mean, does yeah. does that kind of fit? I, I mean, kind I, of. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think it, I think it does do that because it's it's yeah actually I I think that does fit <laughs> um, and it's a good movie. What I'm saying is this wasn't this wasn't a a sleazy attempt to tell everyone to watch John Carter, but everyone should watch <laughs> everyone John did. Carter. It's fun, yeah, it's a fun movie. <laughs> it, it is a fun blockbuster. Huh. Um, yeah, uh, a Princess of Mars, the first novel, was serialized in 1912. I did okay. not realize that was. Yeah, yeah. Close enough to that era. Huh. Yeah, I, I think that in, in general, when you have... I, 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 I don't know. I think that... I totally lost my train of thought. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking about John Carter. Um, <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> no, no, I am happy to think about John Carter. John Carter is one of those movies where like, I don't want to overhype it to the point where people start being disappointed in it. I'm... I more feel like it was so undersold and underappreciated. I'm like, no, I think it's worth a shot. It's like a fun adventure blockbuster. Like, it's a good time. Yeah. Uh, Agree completely. Yeah. Andrew Stanton. Like him. Um, hmm. Apparently, uh, Edgar Rice Burroughs was the son of a Confederate Confederate general. Oh, interesting. I did not know. I just read it and then put it away. Um, Stonewall Burroughs. Stone. <laughs> oh, it just says Civil War veteran. Oh, okay. It was in Chicago though, so probably Union actually. Either way, that's that's very interesting. Yeah. It, the, it's the, always. I feel like we as uh, a, a culture always are like 1900s. All right, that's then. All right, 1800s. That's like 4000 years ago. It's fine. Yes, exactly. Put, put it put it all the way over there. It's like 1899 and 1900 are a century apart. Yes. Which is no I but Harriet Tubman like died in the 1910s or 20s. Yeah. Like 
She was part of the suffragette movement. Like, that's crazy to me. Or it's like when I was playing... <laughs> Here's some whiplash. Like, when I was playing Red Dead 2. <laughs> and I was like, there's cars in this, but it's cowboy times. <laughs> they don't have those yet. Wait, he's going to look at a camera? I can't buy this Red Dead 2. Um, That's a great game. Never found those dinosaur skeletons. Gotta find a walkthrough. <laughs> I think, I'm mostly saying this now because I know that, like, Joseph is reacting as he's listening to this, but I don't know how he's reacting. <laughs> in anger or in glee, I cannot say for sure. Probably some weird mix of both. Sure. Angly. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> i just want someone to like map out the conversation topics we just covered and like, <laughs> we've gone to a weird place we've gone a lot of places here tonight guys <laughs> um i don't know but i guess i guess where it all came back to with my question is i feel like there, there are a lot of ways to make commentary and a lot of ways to to make your point in a movie but i think one of the reasons people turn to metaphor specifically with science fiction and fantasy and horror is that it kind of removes the concern about datedness or timelessness because then if yeah. you create an idea of like, well, this is a, this takes place in a fantastical land. It, it's in Oz or Narnia. Then you're not, that world becomes timeless and becomes sort of frozen or preserved, I guess. Not that Oz is necessarily a metaphor for anything to my knowledge. Um, Narnia definitely is, but <laughs> I think that that can be really effective in, in storytelling, especially for cautionary tales like this, because you, you end up making this point without making your audience feel like it's going through a history lesson. Um, and I think that can be really, uh, really effective. Um, and, and I don't know what kind of effect this movie had when it came out. I don't really know how it was viewed at the time. Um, I know that there was an American cut that inserted the actor Raymond Burr as the visiting American who he had to make sure survived. And it just kind of took out all the commentary stuff and was just about him being present during a monster destroying a city. Um, which is whatever. <laughs> all right. All right, man. That's one way to put it. Yeah. Like, okay. <laughs> do, do you guys now having seen this, how do we feel about, the mo the idea of remaking these modern movies, large they're they're American movies and it's just about him, Godzilla destroying stuff. Do we feel that that sacrifice? I mean, is it a shame? Are we okay with it? Because we, how how do we feel about that? I mean, it's weird because they they still reference all of that. Like they still yeah. pull on like oh he was awakened by testing and things right. like that. Um. But yeah, I mean, and we kind of talk about that with Godzilla 2014, too, where it's like, it is kind of a shame that they take it away from Japan and, and have, you know, not only a uh, largely white cast, white American cast, but also, like, getting into, like, they're all in the military and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, and it is, I mean, it's not that you can't uh, tell that story well, but I think that it's missing something in terms of what was there at the heart. But on the other hand, uh, we have talked about that gif from Godzilla versus Kong, the original one. Yes. Uh, <laughs> because it does seem like they took their own 
track and kind of really pulled away from that. Yeah. In general, like before that ever really became something that Americans made. Um, so I don't know. I think part of it is like the, the franchise did not sit there and, and kind of continue to pull from that. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, so that yeah. that maybe gives it more freedom to be like, OK, that you can make a adaptation of this that doesn't feel like it's in poor taste. That that's how I feel about it. And I think if I watched if my first introduction was Gojira and my second was the 1998 Godzilla, I would be incensed. <laughs> maybe even the 2014. Sure. Probably not. But I would be like, how, you, you you excised so much of the meat of this and the, the the reason for this movie and the soul of this movie. But then because I know that and had seen some of those that for decades, it was just monsters punching each other and destroying stuff. And like it became just monster movie thrills. So that by the time you get to American remakes, it's not at this point. It's like, well, you're just kind of continuing in the new tradition. Yeah. And that's fine. And I think also, particularly with the MonsterVerse movies, they make it global. They don't just go, mm-hmm. uh, no, he's, it's, I, I, I like that none of them, including 1998, do another story about Godzilla's attacking Tokyo. I like that they go, no, he's attacking New York. Or again, in the new ones, it's global. He's attacking various places. Though, if you had the exact same plot from the 98 one and just put it at Tokyo and included all the details of he somehow escaped the military and all of that. <laughs> I think I might have liked that movie more. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I think that um I, I, I think that that helps because it it's like it widens the scope so much. It's like there are crazy things happening all over and Rodan's melting Mexico. <laughs> like we just sure. it, look, it's just what it is. So I'm not really bothered by it. Um because I think that at this point it's like this is what this is now. It's not. I, I am. You know, I am perhaps more bothered by Godzilla '98 now, and not even because of all that you know, good reasoning, but just like, who who was that for? Yeah. Like, where, where did <laughs> exactly. they? Where it did was the, for Roland Emmerich. It was for Roland Emmerich. Like where, where did? It was for Roland Emmerich there? and kind of Dean Devlin. <laughs> but the whole time he was going, why don't they have a device that controls the weather? <laughs> Geostorm. We're talking about Geostorm, okay? Of course. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, one thing I did find interesting, and, and this was kind of what I had raised back when we first started this. In this original movie, Godzilla is an enemy. He mm-hmm. is a threat. Mm-hmm. I like how they, they evolve that, and you know, I'm sure they do that in, in the kind of later Toho movies as well. But I like how he becomes an anti-hero. Um, I like how it becomes more complex of like, no, he's he's there to balance the equation. He's there to to keep things from getting too bad, but he'll also destroy stuff in order to create, you know, that, yeah. that type of thing. Um, so I, I, I don't know. I, I like that, you know, if you're not going to have it be like period pieces set in, you know, Japan and kind of keeping keeping the, the metaphor like really front and center. Um I like that they're able to kind of give Godzilla something else to kind of, you know, deal with on a thematic mm-hmm. level. Um, I don't know. I, I feel like for the most part, kind of the choices that they've made with Godzilla as a character in the modern films have been have been good ones. Definitely. And I think that I, I will say making him a force of neutrality almost in the new ones necessitates there being another monster. 
Sure. Because if he's going to be the sole creature in the movie, he has to ha- he has to be one side or the other. You, or he has right. to lean one way or the other. Um, And so I, that, that's why I liked it in the 2014 when they go ahead and go, nope, there's Mudos. He is going to fight something. One, because it's fun. And also because we want to have, if he's this, if he's balancing an equation, something has to throw the equation off. Um, whereas with this one, I think it works perfectly fine for him to be the only monster because it's not about that. <laughs> There's, it's a different, uh, uh sure. goal. There's a part at the beginning of the movie where, uh, during when the Coast Guard is being attacked, some water like floods, I guess the, the communications room or something. And the guy gets hit with water and he like slumps forward and it looks like the water stabbed him. I did notice that. And I was like, I don't I, know I, if that's. Well, I wondered if it was he was getting electrocuted, oh, um, yeah. which realistically it would look more like that. There wouldn't be like a bunch of, you know, like animated electricity shooting all over his body like you get in, in, sure. in kind of, you know, schlocky science fiction or fantasy films. Revenge of the Sith. Uh. <laughs> no, no, that's a good example. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I did notice that. I thought it was a little silly and then. You know, I thought about, well, maybe that is technically more realistic. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, um, I, 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 talking about electricity, I did like, I really loved the shot of Godzilla hitting the barbed wires that were electrocuted and him knocking over the towers. I thought all of that, just the lighting and everything was gorgeous. I thought that looked really, really cool. Yeah, during a lot of that sequence, I was, um, you know, I was just kind of watching on my TV and I was going, I think this would actually be really cool to watch in a theater. I agree. I definitely agree. And I'm not just saying that because it's got the same aspect ratio as the Zack Snyder Justice League cut. But, <laughs> but. <laughs> I'm, I mentioned that. Uh, so as, as everyone knows, this is the 20th anniversary of Shrek. Um, I know we're all celebrating in our own ways. Um, but I'm a, a friend of mine. Well, a coworker of mine. <laughs> Sorry, that was really mean. At work today was like, "Yeah, Shrek is twenty years old," and I was like, "Yeah, they just released like a special edition with like four hours of stuff." The Snyder Cut wishes, and she had no idea what I was talking about. And I was like, "The Snyder Cut," and and she's younger than me, so she should know because that <laughs> movie's made for Gen X. Am I right? Um, really, uh, voices their struggle. Yeah, no. that's why they're always on their phones is because the Snyder Cut is so long. Uh, and I was like, yeah, the Justice League Snyder. And she was like, oh, okay. I was like, this is a weird exchange. I'm going to go away now. That does make me wonder, like, because apparently the viewership for the Snyder Cut was not what they wanted. Um, I do wonder how many people, like, if the marketing even hit them or if they were even, like, aware of what was going on. Yeah, Because I feel like a lot of, you know, people that aren't nearly as much into film as we are, they could hear like, oh, there's an extended cut of Justice League. Yeah. And they would just remember, maybe remember, oh, that's that lame movie I saw a couple of years ago. Right. No, no, thanks. Except I don't want more. Saw it. So. <laughs> yeah. Get on TikTok, Zach. Got to get on TikTok. <laughs> do it. Do a dance. Mm-hmm. Uh, lip sync to a, a episode of what's a podcast people like. Maybe, Two dope maybe, queens and get going. Maybe maybe Vero will will come up with like like a janky version of TikTok. It'll be called like Verver or something. <laughs> yeah. And then, and then Snyder can just like u- utilize that. It'll be fine. <laughs> I'm, just, huh. I'm trying to figure out a uh, 
I don't know if you've ever seen the like the meme things of people will take common uh, text slang like IDK and then mm. they'll say like this is a guide for what these mean and then they'll do like the wrong definition. Oh, I'm sure, trying to think sure. of how to associate that with the Snyder Cut, but I can't think of any good ones. <laughs> so now we're gonna sit here and I'll cut out the silence <laughs> until we find out or come up with a good. <laughs> well, we got to do something with a haircut. Like, what style haircut is the Snyder Cut? LOL means League of Laughter, am I right? I was <laughs> cracking up. <laughs> I, guess it, I guess Leave Out Laughter would be more fair. <laughs> is the Snyder Cut just shaving your head? Is that what we're going for? Alex, why are you talking about haircuts? I don't understand. <laughs> I'm thinking like UrbanDictionary.com, you type in Snyder Cut, and it just says slang for shaving your head. Oh, That's all I've got. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> That's all I've got. <laughs> but Whedon, Whedon is in the back making funnier haircut no matter what you do and telling you that you'll never work I, in this town again. I love the 2017 Justice League. Ha! Joss kidding. Um, <laughs> well, <laughs> your response to Joss should be, well, at least I'm willing to admit I don't have hair anymore. Whoa. All right. He's not even here to defend himself. Or is he? <laughs> we have Joss Whedon backstage right now. Guys, that's right. From the Nevers. And he still hung up on us giving Age of Ultron a B minus. I don't know. It's just it's just a hang up with him. Just won't get over it. Man. Uh and that's the only thing he ever did wrong, said no one ever. Anyways, grades for Godzilla nineteen fifty-four. I am also giving it a B minus. Same quality as Age of Ultron. <laughs> Tyler, there's a lot of at? hoops I just jumped through there. I hope I hope everyone appreciates the efficiency. Anyways, <laughs> B minus. See, this is one where it's like so much of the movie is stuff that I'm like, that's really cool. Like that that right. is cool is the wrong word. That's that's really well done and that's really effective. It's probably the word I'm looking for. Um and so much of it is not. <laughs> yeah, sure. Uh, and I feel like it's kind of a mixed bag. And so it's hard. Like, I think. And and we've had this conversation before where sometimes we review movies that are like, oh, no, this is film. Sure. <laughs> now we have to compare film to Age of Ultron or Spider-Man 3. <laughs> Pitch Perfect 2. Yeah. Wolverine Origins. <laughs> Alien Covenant. Alien Covenant. <laughs> um predators yeah so i mean i don't know i i think i think i'm gonna go a minus i'm gonna go high i i it is almost more respect for the film than enjoyment um because there was a lot that i just wasn't really like hanging into but i i think it is such an interesting movie in terms of what it has to say and, and kind of the, the context of the time. Yeah. Um, I'm going to go a, you know, I, I think again, like you said, it's more respect than enjoyment, but, and I did enjoy elements of the movie. Yeah. Um, but maybe, you know, a, a week from now I'll be like, ah, that's really more of a B plus, but I think a sounds, sounds good right now. Um, and that's what I gave 2014, right? Godzilla. No, 2014 Godzilla, you gave a... 
Oh yeah, you did give it an eight. Yeah, I thought Sorry. so. Getting that lined up. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That might. I was thinking about this. That might be my favorite of this of all of these that we've watched. Even though I know it's not the best, I, I feel like it may be the one that like works on me in the, such mm-hmm. a specific way. Um, I do in a lot of ways feel like the best may be Skull Island, just in terms of like. What are you setting out to do, and are you succeeding in doing it? I feel like Skull yeah. Island may do the best of that. King of the Monsters is a lot more solid than I remembered it being, but uh, Skull Island yeah. may. Do you may do you actually. want me to do quick rankings for everyone? You don't have to. If you I was can. Just... Sure, yeah, man, I may as well. I threw it out there, and you know, it'll be fine. <laughs> this won't go horribly wrong. I promise. <laughs> um, so Three for my hours later. <laughs> <laughs> um. So for my list, I've got a three-way tie uh, for my number one spot between King Kong uh, 2005, Kong Skull Island, and King of the Monsters. All of those I gave a B. Um, I feel pretty comfortable with that. I think they're all fairly even in their own individual ways, so I'm not going to break that down into specific rankings on that. Um, beyond that, I gave you know the 1954 Godzilla a B-, so that would be next. Um then uh the 2014 Godzilla and Godzilla versus Kong I gave C pluses to um I think ultimately I probably enjoyed Godzilla versus Kong more um but Godzilla 2014 might be the stronger film I don't know that's eh. pluses and minuses for both so um let's see and then uh the original King Kong I gave a C and then last is the 98 Godzilla with an F. Because it is god-awful. <laughs> I'm really glad um, we only found one of those. Yeah. Like, I'm glad yeah. we only ran into one movie that was like, oh, no. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And it was the first one. We got it out of the way. This was the best order to do it in. Yeah. <laughs> I think we really did nail it. Because we really would have gone from 1954 <laughs> to 1998. Oh, God, Godzilla, yeah. And we would have been like, yeah. what? <laughs> um... Tyler, you have a tie for the A minus between Kong Skull Island and the nineteen fifty four Godzilla. Mm-hmm. Uh, any, you want to elaborate on that or just keep no. going? <laughs> okay, <laughs> <laughs> sounds good. Um, then Godzilla versus Kong, you gave a B plus. Then uh, the original King Kong and Kong Skull Island both sitting with B minuses. Um, then. Uh, 2014 Godzilla, you gave a C plus. Um, let's see. Then the 1933 King Kong, you gave a C minus, and then uh, Godzilla film. 98. What was that? Trash film. And then the, Godzilla the 98. seminal classic King Kong from 1933. And then Godzilla 98 <laughs> with an F. Also a trash film. It sucked. Uh, and then Britain. Uh, you have 2014 Godzilla and 1954 Godzilla, both tied at your top spot with an A for each. Um, then, uh, let's see, Kong Skull Island has an A minus, um, three-way tie with B pluses for King Kong 2005, uh, Godzilla King of the Monsters, and, uh, let's see, Godzilla vs. Kong. Yeah. All B pluses. Yeah. Um, then a B to the 1933 King Kong, and I think that just leaves Godzilla 98 with an F. <laughs> that sucks! That, that might be one of the worst movies we've done for the, the, the show. Yeah, it's up there. 
Yeah. It's I a, think I said that at the time and you both thought I was exaggerating. Really? Well, I think I said something to the effect of, well, maybe it was even further. Maybe I said it was like, this is one of the worst movies I've ever seen, which <laughs> I still might stand by. Sure, sure. It's, yeah, it's, it's the kind of, like, I'm thinking yeah. about it now and I'm like, no way it's one of the worst. But I know if I watched it now, I'd be like, this is one of the worst movies we've done on the podcast. It's so bad. Yeah. You know, I can't think of the specific things. I mean, I can, but like nothing immediately comes to mind. It's like, oh, this this is my thesis on why this is so terrible. Right, right. But it's also a movie that if someone told me, hey, you want to watch this movie? I'd be like, no. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it, it would be very violent compared to other <laughs> bad movies I have seen. And I feel like there are movies that are so broadly considered terrible that you watch and you're like, I mean... I don't know that it merits that kind of the, kind of the reverse of how people are look at Shawshank Redemption. and They're like, I mean, it's fine. It's not, I don't think it's yeah, the yeah. best movie ever, but I think it's quite good. Even though with, God, with Godzilla 98, I'm like, no, I think it is actually like merited as being like when people yeah. talk about it being one of the worst movies, I'm like, no, I get that. It, it is rated. <laughs> yeah, it is rated. Oh <laughs> uh, dear. Um, do y'all have re- uh, recommendations? Cause I do as always. Um, I do not this week. I was only able to manage watching a couple of shows that I've already recommended. So I've, I knocked out an episode or two of The Wire and then more uh, Mayor of Easttown, which is still still really strong. So nice. Well, heart of Dixie in there. I um, <laughs> I, oh, Tyler, Tyler, do you have anything to share with the class? Alex and I played some Rocket League. Yeah, you did. So that's uh, true. We did. Yeah, did. And we actually <laughs> won some. I was shocked. <laughs> I haven't played that game in like three years, and within like twenty minutes, we were beating people online. I was like, "We're I know we're gonna lose like immediately, like next game." But I, I, I feel victorious right now. I I feel I feel pretty good. I can't, in good conscience, recommend that as like an actual recommendation because (laughs) I mean, sure you can. It's a you just have to say it. It's a pretty addictive addictive game, and also like (laughs) the online culture is real mean. (laughs) <laughs> which is kind of great i i normally enjoy it um because people are just making fun of each other for failing to save uh shots that go into the goals but the gameplay in that game is real fun especially when like you you play it well for like a, a, a sustained 30 seconds <laughs> like it's it's real fun it's a it's a it's a neat game um not my recommendation though i don't have one yeah i don't know i'll come up <laughs> well, with someone something eventually I, I similarly, I actually didn't watch a movie this week. I also was catching up on on some TV shows. Homeland is cool. I'm in the first season. Um, but I am going to dip back into my back pocket and recommend another Japanese movie, a more contemporary one, from 2007. It's called Departures uh, it, by Yojiro Takita. I think it actually won the Oscar for a foreign language film or hmm. international film. And it's a really beautiful movie about a man who is, he's a a professional cellist and his orchestra uh, disbands, or I guess disorchestras. And is this the only reason you're recommending it so you can make that pun? No, but I did write that joke a few days ago and I'm very proud of it still. So thank you for catching (laughs) it. Um, But so, so, so so the orchestra breaks up and he is sort of at at an impasse of what should I do with my life? And he and his wife, decide to move back to his hometown where he takes the job as I can't remember the the official term but someone who basically prepares bodies for funerals and and for burial 
So it's not a funeral service. It's the sort of pre-ritual. And it, it as, as uh, uh, pro- posited by the movie, I don't know about this cultural practice in, in reality, but in the world of the movie, the, the ceremony is very revered, but the people who do it are not. And they're, you know, touching dead bodies and that's considered disgusting. And so there's a real stigma against him for taking this this job. And it's a fairly, you know, familiar idea of like, what do I want to do with my life? I took this unexpected job. Some people don't like it. I do. Or do I? I don't know. I'm playing a cello. Um, but the movie is done, is told very beautifully. And the, the scenes of that ritual are so delicate and thorough and gentle and they manage to make each one feel so unique within each family's circumstances and the way uh daigo is the main character the way he sort of grows into each uh, uh scenario both times i watched it i rented the dvd but however you watch it it's totally worth checking out um i will say there's some moments in it that are kind of farcical like the humor feels a little over the top at times so it's kind of jarring in that way um but otherwise, I just find it really stunning, and there's beautiful music. Um, I enjoy cello music, apparently, and it's quite lovely. And uh, there's he wears a really great sweater in one scene that I was like, I want that sweater. So if you like sweaters and life changes and beautifully writ performed Japanese dramas, uh, I certainly recommend Departures. Playing at... Your house. You reminded me of music, but we never talked about the uh, the choral piece in oh, right. Godzilla, which was haunting and performed yes. by school children. And I'm both shocked and I think a little pleased that they never used that for or used a like new re- recording mm-hmm. of that for one of the trailers for the newer movies. Because I sure, feel sure. like that would be very. Uh, uh, it would be it would it would be very in line with modern trailers to be like, hey. <laughs> we know this is really haunting and powerful in the original one. Uh, we're going to milk it. And now we present Camilla Cabello and her rendition. Jojo Siwa. Yeah. I don't know who's popular. No, they're um, too busy using, I, I don't know, bad to the bone or whatever. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, I agree. And, and that that scene hit me especially because I was like, this is such a a, a beautiful thing that all of these characters are experiencing simultaneously through the radio and they had to tune in at that one time. So it's, just, it's, it reminded me of like, Oh, that was really unifying like that yeah. kind of, of technology, I guess, but also just that sense of, we all have to be, we all have to tune in right now. And it was, it's a really beautiful sequence. I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. Cause yeah, I'd forgotten to mention it. It's very good. Speaking of spooky kids, uh, we're picking <laughs> up a new franchise next week. Um, and no, it's not, uh the 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 conjuring um I don't i don't know that spooky kids there there is a a group of people singing a song in one of the movies and see it's kind of it's not as haunting it's not nearly as haunting maybe that's kind of neat haunting stuff involving kids <laughs> we're getting closer stranger uh, things season four we are doing that's it as our second TV Announcing show, we're doing it live things. on the podcast. Uh, <laughs> we are going to review Stranger Things season four. Um, yeah, we're going to be a fan cast now. We are doing the Hunger Games. Uh, it's going to be neat. 
Yeah. It's one we've we've had queued up, I think, for a long time, but we wanted to get through Harry Potter, Twilight, yeah, etc. Not really, yeah. etc. Those are the only two. Um, but yeah. One so we're gonna be, yeah, and uh, tune in. I've only seen the first movie. I know Alex is real hard Team Gale, and uh, Tyler's a big old Team Peta over there. Me, I'm just in the middle, like, well, what's going on? So we'll have to see where the verdict lands. I think I genuinely forgot one of their names was Gale. <laughs> I think reading the book, I genuinely would have been Team Gale. <laughs> At least until the third one. We'll get into Te- it. Team mm. President Snow? <laughs> oh, I bet. I bet I bet if you enter the right words into Google, you'll find something about that. Um, the moment when you remembered that Chris Hemsworth's brother played Gale. Yeah. And he was totally in other movies as well. Um <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that'll be a, that'll be a fun new kind of thing. Hey Tyler, where can they find us? Hey Britain, you can find us on herecomethesequels.blogspot.com. You can find us on Twitter at hctsequels. You can email us at herecomethesequels at gmail.com. Um, did I say Twitter? I probably said Twitter. Twitter at hctsequels. If, if I didn't already say it. Uh, other things iTunes, Spotify, Apple Music instead of iTunes now, I guess. Yeah, Apple Podcasts, uh, SoundCloud. Apple. Put us into your Google browser, uh, and we promise we will be somewhere on the results until we are removed for spam. Correct. And leave us a rating and review. I hear that helps out a lot. Tell a friend. Um, Show uh, it to your parents. Show it to your kids. When you listen to Here Come the Sequels, the fun never ends. We'll set up a physical. This is kind of gross. I want to do this now. Can we? Can we set up a uh, physical location? for here come the sequel somewhere uh it'll be in like saskatchewan um <laughs> and then that way people can go to review it and they can review it like they're reviewing like a like a restaurant or something uh-huh. but then you guys can all put your reviews there and then people will look up like you know here come the sequels and they'll see oh look at all these good reviews i don't know why it says saskatchewan um but uh <laughs> cool we're gonna hack the system yeah i'm into that why? Why did? Why do all the reviews say this? This wonderful little bistro is located in the ocean. <laughs> <laughs> this uh, uh, podcast has everything. I hear there are some pretty big icebergs around that area. I want to start a floating cafe in the Atlantic called Latitude Fifty, Longitude Forty Nine, or whatever <laughs> would be an acceptable thing in the Atlantic. I like it. And I have been Britain. <laughs> I'll have the Taft special. I've been Alex. <laughs> <laughs> I've been Tyler. Uh, and you're having a good night. Are we?